This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Steelers Nation has got a whole lot of questions, and there is only one man that has the answers for them. That is knower of all things Steelers football, Bob Labriola. I will be serving the role of the fans in this podcast. I am Tom Opferman, and you have tuned in to another edition of Asked and Answered the Podcast. Bob, I only got one question for you, and that's, are you ready to get to these questions? Yeah, and you would be you would be surprised. I mean, I got a lot of questions, but I got a lot of the same ones over and over and over again. You saw these questions beforehand? No, no, no. What I'm talking oh, about is... Don't scare uh, me like that. No. Um, well, there were probably... 75 or 80 in the queue um, when uh, the uh, the final score became final on Sunday. And just going through them, I would say there were 30% of them on one topic. <laughs> we don't need 30% of questions on one topic. Right. One question on that topic will yes. do just fine. Let's get into it, Bob, because we got a ton of questions to break down here. And let's start with another Bob. Bob Land from Los Angeles, California asks, what counts as a drop, what counts as a target, and what counts as a catchable ball? Is there an official statistic for drops and catchable balls? Okay, what I can tell you for sure is this. Target, uh, targets are a statistic uh, recognized by the NFL, and so those are kept uh, in the press box of the home team by the home team stats crew. Uh, the other two categories, drops, and catchable balls, um, th- those aren't sanctioned NFL statistics or recognized NFL statistics. And so, uh, as I like to say, uh, drops and catchable balls are the same thing as beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. Um, there are there are um, entities on the Internet that will keep them. Um, but, again, if you do some research – on a, a guy, for example, like Deontay Johnson, who is often said to have led the NFL in drops during the 2020 season. Okay, if you check all of those um, entities that keep track of those things, you get different numbers. So that's that's what I mean. It's in the eye of the beholder. So targets, officially NFL sanctioned, but drops and catchable, catchable balls, balls, you got to take not. those with a grain of salt yes. every time you see yeah. them. Matt Vargo from Las Vegas, Nevada asks, will the Steelers wear their color rush jerseys this year? And what about the current throwback jerseys? Uh, I'm not so sure about the throwbacks. I have my doubts. But the Steelers have identified a game at Heinz Field when they will wear their color rush jerseys. Uh, Stay tuned to Steelers.com for that announcement. It'll be coming uh, somewhere down the road. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say you wish the Steelers would go back to the block lettering. Am I right to say that? Um, yeah, I like I like the old uh, old school ju- old school jersey face mask. Uh, yeah, but, well, not necessarily that, but <laughs> the um, yeah the block numbers, uh, no logo on the front. Yeah, um, lot lot of a uh, lot of great players wore that jersey, but you know it's a jersey. I I don't uh, you know <laughs> what I mean. A piece of laundry. A piece of laundry, <laughs> like George Carlin said, you're rooting for the laundry. That's what sports is. John Zimmerman from Johnsonburg, Pennsylvania asks, I'm 49 years old and have been a Steelers fan my whole life. I've seen a lot of linebackers for the Steelers come and go. In your opinion, who do you think is the greatest linebacker to play for the Steelers over the past 50 years, present company included? That's a tough question for you, Labs. Well, I've been asked this a bunch, um, and my answer is always the same. And I, I get a lot of pushback on my answer from Steelers fans. 
My answer is Jack Ham. Uh, most Steelers fans love the Lambert persona. Right. Great player, Jack Lambert. Great player. I, I'm not. This is not an indictment of uh, Jack Lambert, but I do believe, you know, that Jack Ham is underrated uh, in terms of his uh, place in the pecking order of great Steelers of the 1970s. Uh, and I, I'll just now you, I'll, I'm going to refer to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, which selected its 50th anniversary team in 2013. And they picked 11 players on defense. So this is not like getting voted to the Pro Bowl where they vote 35 guys or whatever it is. Okay, 11 players. There were four defensive linemen, three linebackers, four defensive backs. The two outside linebackers selected to that team, and again, this is voted on by the Pro Football Hall of Fame, were Lawrence Taylor, not a bad player, and Jack Ham. The middle linebacker was Dick Butkus. And so in writing about why um, Ham uh, was selected, um, this is what was written. It it still appears on the Pro Football Hall of Fame website. I'm just going to read this so as not to pollute uh, any of their words or observations. Smart, instinctive, great football IQ. Ham was a short tackler who could diagnose plays very quickly, and he was also able to handle the quickest of backs in coverage. The 1970s was the decade when running backs really started to get involved in the passing game, eventually giving rise to the third down back. Ham could handle them all. It is said that from 0 to 10 yards, Ham was faster than any other Steelers player. There were those within the organization who felt that he was the club's best player. Ham certainly belonged in that conversation with Mean Joe Green as he also played an integral role on the four Super Bowl winning teams of the 1970s. Ham's 53 career takeaways, 32 interceptions, and let me remind you, Jack Ham was a linebacker, 32 interceptions, 21 fumble recoveries, remain the highest figure ever by a non-defensive back. Toughest cut from the position, no one. Lawrence Taylor and Jack Ham stood out above the rest. So... Um, that's my guy. Uh, if if someone would ask me, and they have, who's the second greatest player uh, on the Steelers team in the 1970s, Ham is my pick. If anybody asks me who is the next jersey that should be retired, 32, Franco Harris. But those are just my opinions. And that's a different question, Lad. That's a different we'll, we'll question. We'll get to that another day. I'm not going to argue with Jack Ham that he's the best linebacker in Steelers history. That dude could still cave my face in at his senior <laughs> age today. So he won't get no argument from me, Jack Ham. You are the king of the hill when it comes to outside or linebackers in general for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Christopher Gibson from Manalapan, New Jersey, asks, looking at the depth chart on Steelers.com, there isn't a backup for either Chris Boswell or Presley Harvin III. Is there someone designated as emergency punter and or kicker in that game day event, or to what degree can one cover for the other? Okay, well, first of all, there's no real rule mandating that a backup be listed at every position. And so when you see a depth chart somewhere and there there's, isn't a backup listed, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that there is no plan in place for if that individual who's listed first at that particular position uh, would not be able to play. Um, Mike Tomlin has said that there is a plan in place, but he chooses not to reveal who those guys are, the emergency backups, I mean, so they don't ha- they're not constantly asked questions about it. Um, his philosophy is, I don't want these guys thinking about uh, what ha- what, 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 what's going to happen if 
Boswell gets hurt in the fourth quarter of a game against the Ravens that we're losing by a point. Oh no! You know, you know, you don't want them thinking about it yeah. too long or too much in advance of when they actually have to go out there and try and and do it. Angel Montez from Lompoc, California asks, I noticed there was a question in a previous asked and answered. Oh, Angel, thanks so much for listening. About if the Steelers ever use the draft pick to keep a player from another team. The answer was no. So I was wondering if you think another team has done this to the Steelers, with a good example being when a lot of draft analysts had the Steelers taking William Jackson III, and right before it was our turn to pick, the Bengals jumped in and picked him. Um, you know, that year was 2016, and um, leading up to that draft, it was really no secret that both the Steelers and the Bengals needed cornerbacks. And so as that draft unfolded, three cornerbacks came off the board well before the Bengals, who ended up picking number 24 overall, and the Steelers picked number 25 overall, were on the clock. Uh, Jalen Ramsey recognizes the best corner in that draft, went to Jacksonville, fifth overall. Eli Apple went to the New York Giants, 10th overall. Vernon Hargraves went to Tampa Bay, number 11 overall. Now, both William Jackson III and Artie Burns were considered to be among the next group of cornerbacks. Uh, and even though the Bengals picked Jackson excuse me, before the Steelers had the opportunity, Cincinnati was still in the market for a corner. So it's not as though the Bengals picked Jackson while needing a wide receiver, is an example, which I believe was the point of the original question. Uh, but as it turned out, the Bengals and the Steelers both blew it uh, because <laughs> instead of uh, fighting over William Jackson III, if in fact they were, they should have been fighting over Xavier Howard, a cornerback the Miami Dolphins selected 38th overall. Uh, this was a guy who was voted first-team All-Pro in 2020, and he already has 22 interceptions in 57 career NFL games. This isn't really exactly what she was asking, but one that always stands out to me as a so close for the Steelers is Aaron Donald's draft class in 2014. He goes 13th to the Rams. Steelers pick two picks later. They pick Ryan Shazier. So at the time, they did a pretty good job. Just turned out that unfortunately Shazier's career was cut short, but so close to having Aaron Donald stay at home and play Here, for the Steelers. Here's another one. I'm gonna go. To, I'm gonna take you back in time before you were born, probably. Yeah, 1985. Oh, well before I was born. Um, Bill Nunn was still very much involved in the Steelers scouting department, and he was very, very, very high on a wide receiver from. Mississippi Valley State. You might have oh, heard of I him. I think I've heard of him before. Jerry Rice. Yeah, it rings a bell. And um, Rice was not, you know, there were some, Rice was one of those, you either loved him or you thought he was overrated. Um, and there was a wide disparity a disparity of opinion on him. But leading up to that draft, Bill Nunn had convinced Chuck Knoll. And the Steelers were going to pick Jerry Rice mm. in the first round. Um, but the 49ers traded up in front of the Steelers and picked Rice at a point where after that pick, down to the Steelers, I think it was three more picks, none of those teams would have picked a wide receiver. So, anyway. Another talk, one that's so close so yet close. so far away. You think you think Jerry Rice could have made Mark Malone? Nah. An all-pro Probably not. Probably. Jerry Rice wasn't that great. <laughs> Nick Prabhu from Sherville, Indiana asks, I have noticed many quarterbacks in the league wear a folding wristband and they read something from it while they're in the huddle. What kind of information might they read from it? Okay, yeah, it's a folding wristband, and it has a, the top folds down to cover what's underneath it. 
And so what's done is is that um, there's a that's a playlist, okay, and they make two copies of it. One goes in the quarterback's wristband, and the other is in the hands of the offensive coordinator. Um, he often also will be wearing it as a wristband. And this is done especially in stadiums where there could be a noise problem because, you know, a play could have a lot of verbiage in it and you're trying to um, communicate that through the microphone in the quarterback's helmet. And we've seen this too in noisy venues. You'll see the quarterback cover the ear holes of his helmet as he's trying to hear what the uh, play call coming in is. So what they do instead is, with those wristbands, as I said, they're exactly the same, and the plays are numbered on both identically. So all the coordinator has to say is number seven. Then you see the quarterback will look down, and then he reads the play in the huddle so uh, everybody can hear it. It's just a more effective way of communicating what needs to be communicated without having to burn timeouts or – take the lay of game penalties obviously it's very useful in loud stadiums but have you noticed it being more useful for younger quarterbacks as well in oh, the I'm, nfl yeah i'm sure uh because you know here's the other thing if you're a rookie quarterback right. say can, can you know i don't know if how um detailed of an understanding the guy might have but i've heard some of those plays and i mean it's it's they can go on yeah, it's tough. And so, you know, does the guy hear it all? Can he remember it? I mean, does he know it well enough to know, or does he have to remember what is being said and repeat what is being said as opposed to knowing what it is when they start? So, yeah, it's 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 easier. As I said, it's an easier way to get the job done. Ben Murphy from Cork, Ireland asks, with Chooksakorafor struggling in the first two games and Zach Banner not back yet, do you think there is any chance we could see Joe Haig start at right tackle to help the run game against the Bengals this coming Sunday? Um, I think that Joe Haig was signed to be a versatile veteran backup. Um, I think if um, the Steelers really saw him as a starter, they would not have moved um, Chooks Corfor from left tackle and started the rookie Dan Moore Jr. there. Um, however, now as the as the season has unfolded. I understand it's only two weeks. I think Dan Moore Jr. has um, done a decent job at left tackle, certainly a better job than Chooks has been doing at right tackle. Um, is something going to change this week in, the, in terms of the starting lineup? I would doubt it. I think Chooks would get to start again at, at right tackle, but, I mean, it's not as though uh, he's considered um, untouchable. In terms of, so I don't know. He may start at right tackle against the Bengals. Uh, if he doesn't play well, uh, I don't, I'm not um, all that convinced that he would finish at the game at right tackle. A follow up question from me, Tom Offerman from Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania. <laughs> if Zach Banner gets healthy, you think it's moving towards the point where Dan Moore holds that left tackle spot down and Zach Banner slides in for Chooks? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that at this point, what we've seen from Dan Moore is um, that he's. He's improving. Yeah. I mean, he is not um, – again, he's not any threat to make the Pro Bowl right now. Of course. But um, he also, I don't think, is – I don't think you would look at him and say – identify him as a problem. Uh, and so, I, I in that in that sense, I don't believe that the Steelers would want to uh, retard his growth and development. Let him play. 
I think I agree with you on that one. Vince Scotty from Columbia, South Carolina asks, I stuck with Ben Roethlisberger through his problems years ago, but am I the only one tired of hearing him say the problems of the offense are, quote, on him or, quote, I have to be better, etc.? Secondly, is it time to panic about the offense or should we all just hope it will develop as this season continues? Stuck with Ben Roethlisberger, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say his problems years ago. What are you talking about? His problems years ago. He I, was in the AFC Championship game in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, let me say this about Ben. I, I, I'm not going to try and um, claim that he is on a path this season so far to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. Um, but he's he gives the Steelers the best chance to win this year. Yes. Um, and so uh, he is one of the two best quarterbacks in franchise history the NFL the the Steelers have been in the NFL since 1933 Ben's also one of only a dozen quarterbacks in league history to win more than one Super Bowl and the Steelers are still tied um, for the most Super Bowl wins in NFL history so um, you know sticking with Roethlisberger uh, to me doesn't earn you any merit badges towards your Eagle Scout uh, designation um and, I, you know, as to the other part of the question, I don't know what you would rather have Ben do. I mean, go sit down at the microphone after a game and rip the coordinator or say, you know, if these offensive linemen could give me any time, you know, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, or can you guys think you could keep the guys from drilling me in the chest with, you know, their helmets or, hey, Eric Ebron, how about catching a pass, making a play for me once every now and then? So, uh, leaders take responsibility, um, and you know I would rather him do that than uh, try or not try, but threaten to tear the team apart from within by sitting there and pointing fingers at people other than himself. Well, us in the podcast and radio industry would love for him to go out there and start pointing fingers because that yes. would set the talk on fire for the uh, rest of the week. But as far as the team is concerned. Those conversations are best to be had behind closed doors. Up in front of the media, you take the blame and you move on. Percy Sondag from New Providence, New Jersey, asks, Punting on fourth and one in the fourth quarter when trailing by nine points felt to me like giving up. I don't usually question coaching decisions. There is a reason why Mike Tomlin is a professional coach, and I am not. But I cannot make any sense of that one. Were they hoping for a magical turnover to avoid the clock running out before they got a chance to tie? Well, um, let me say this. Uh, when that play unfolded right after uh, Pat Fryermuth was tackled and they spotted the ball uh, and he had gained five yards of the six necessary yards needed to convert the third down, I was thinking, okay, got to go for it here. But then I started thinking, you know, what are you going to do? What's the play? Because, you know, decision, deciding whether to go for it or punt is half of it. Then you got to come up with what's going to work, and you know, for me at that time, I don't, I wasn't real confident that they could line up and run the ball. Um, ben was taking a beating, so you know, what kind of pass play are you going to call? One of those quick throws to the sideline. Will the guys on the perimeter make the block so that, for example, if they throw it to Juju, he's not going to get tackled uh, for a loss like happened in the Bills game when Cam Sutton dropped. Um, uh, Matt Breida, so I didn't. I couldn't come up with a play that I thought I liked, and so you punt. Now, when you look at what happened, um, 
if if they go for it and don't make it, you're just about conceding a field goal for the Raiders, over. right? And then you're down 12 points, which which is two touchdowns as opposed to nine, which is a touchdown and a field goal, and you're ahead. Right. Okay. So when you look at what ended up happening, um, when they got the ball back, there was um, close to nine minutes, I think, yeah. when they decided to punt. When they got the ball back, there was 5.51 left. Uh, the deficit was still only nine instead of 12, and the field position was their own 31 after the after the punt, and it would have been the 34 or the 35 if they had gone for it and made it. So, you know, it didn't seem to me that there was a lot lost in terms of time or field position. Uh, what, what cost the Steelers that game was uh, Henry Ruggs' 61-yard touchdown pass was more significant uh, than punting on fourth and one. No question. That was the dagger. One thing that I would honestly point criticism towards more than that decision might be the clock management with timeouts, too. Only having one timeout left in your pocket, that, that hurts you when you're trying to come back in a football yeah, game. Um, but, I mean, why were those timeouts needed? I don't know that. Exactly. Because, we're not coaches' labs. Well, he probably needed them for a really good reason. Yeah, like you couldn't get the play in or exactly. yeah, something that could have happened on fourth and one just as easily. <laughs> Michael Roscoe from Chesapeake, Virginia, asks, the Steelers knew Las Vegas was going to throw the football, and they still couldn't stop them. Is there a fix for this? Well, you know what? My first suggestion would be you get T.J. Watt, Joe Hayden, Alex Highsmith, um, Devin Bush, put them on a plane, send them to Lourdes, say, go take a little uh, swim in the waters there, and um, maybe they, maybe you heal because uh, – you know, I get it. The last man, uh, next man up. Excuse me, next man up. I get it. Uh, the standard is the standard, but I mean that has limits. You can't take those guys out of that defense and expect it to still be even what we saw the previous week against Buffalo. So, uh, and, and and most of those injuries happen either in game or late in the process, late in the week leading up to the Raiders game. So there wasn't much time to prepare for it or adjust for it or get the guys behind them um, coached up into terms of what you wanted to do. So you're asking guys not as good as your best players to play the scheme that you devised uh, when you had your best players. Um, just – just a bad situation. Yeah, I'm not going to claim to be an expert here, but I feel like when your two top pass rushers, one of your best cover linebackers, and your number one corner are out with injury, your pass defense is going to suffer a little bit in that yeah, game. Yeah, it is. <laughs> John Thompson from Conneaut, Ohio asks, do you believe that Chris Boswell has displaced Gary Anderson as the best kicker in Steelers history? Yeah, I mean, we can debate when, when exactly that happened, but in my opinion, at this point, there is no doubt I would pick Boswell uh, over Gary Anderson, um, you know, just and, and partly because kickers are just so much better now than oh, when yeah. Anderson was in his prime in the 80s. I mean, Gary Anderson's uh, field goal percentage rate with the Steelers during his career was 78.2. Boswell right now is 88.2. Um, Anderson finished eight seasons with a field goal success rate below 80%. Boswell has finished below 90% only twice. And then you look at playoffs. Uh, Boswell 16 for 16 in seven playoff games. Anderson was 15 for 19 in 10 playoff games. Um, give me the boss. I think something that 
uh, a lot of Steelers fans underrate and don't give enough credit to the front office for is sticking with Boswell after his 2018 season. A lot of teams in the NFL cut bait with kickers once they start to appear Quickly, to go south. Right. He looked like he was going south in 2018. Colbert Tomlin decided to stick with him. Great 2019 season. He's been great ever since. Right. Mike Riggleman from Cumberland, Maryland. I'm all for playing until the clock runs out when there is a chance to actually do something with it. What purpose was served by having them run a play with just a few seconds left in the game when down by 26 to 17? Obviously, Deontay Johnson getting injured on that play amplifies the negativity with this type of decision. I'm just curious your thoughts on playing until the end, even if it does not matter. Well, you know, personally, I've sat through a lot of games where I, I just sit there and my perception is that the game is over and I'm thinking, God, I just wish they would just take a knee or cancel this and let us all get out of here. But uh, I'm not uh, someone who has worked his entire life to rise to the top level of um, my sport uh, to compete in the NFL, which is the highest level of football in the world. And so I can't understand what those guys have gone through to get there. And I can't understand what the coaches have gone through to get where they are and also how they are trying to um, imbue the competitive spirit in their players. Okay, And so quitting to me is the, the most mortal sin you can commit um, and you, for a player and giving up for a coach. You, you cannot do that. I don't think you can – if you're a player and you quit, you can never look at your teammates in the locker room. And if you're a coach who gave up, you can never look at your players when you gather them around you and you're trying to ask them to make sacrifices for the good of the team and all that stuff. Uh, I just think it just ruins uh, any credibility you might have. And let me just give you three quick quotes from Vince Lombardi. I mean, and this these are things that these players hear all the time from when they're little kids – and this is how they live their professional lives. One of them from Lombardi was, once you learn to quit, it becomes a habit. Another one, winners never quit and quitters never win. And then the final one from Lombardi, we didn't lose this game. We just ran out of time. And so, yes, um, Mike, I can see how you're thinking, uh, why you're thinking the way you were. I will agree with you that I sometimes think the same way, but I don't believe professional players or coaches are ever going to act on the way we think. That Lombardi guy, pretty good at building a winning culture, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good at that. Last one for you here, Labs. John Malesko from Elizabethtown, Kentucky asks, when Carl Joseph was signed to the practice squad, I thought I had read that it was only for the short, short term while he passed COVID protocols. Just curious what his status is. Well, you know, we've kind of, I've been over this before uh, with questioners and you know, people will say, well, I read this or I heard this. Um, and and I, what I always tell them is reports from sources is code for guesses from people who have no idea. And so what you, I have no doubt that John read what he says he read. But all I can tell you, John, is that the guy or the person who wrote that is wrong, was wrong. And um Carl Joseph remains on the Steelers practice squad. And, um, you know, if you want to know what happened, all I can tell you is the individual who wrote what you read was wrong. Uh, and I don't know anything more about it than that. 
That'll do it for us here on this edition of the Asked and Answered podcast. All the questions have been asked. Labs has given you all the answers that he's got. Thanks, as always, for giving us a listen. We always appreciate that. For Bob Labriola, I am Tom Opperman, and we will talk to you next week on another edition of the Asked and Answered podcast.